0: Well, turn with me now to second Peter chapter one. We're still in chapter one as we walk through second Peter. And today we're going to talk about being saved, but how about this being saved and sure. So you and I just celebrated the Lord's supper together and we remembered what Jesus did to rescue us, what Jesus did to give us this gift of eternal life. But how confident are you that you have received that gift? How confident are you that you are one of those who when you die, you will go to heaven? Any lingering uncertainty in your life with that question is gonna be stressful for you and ultimately detrimental to your spiritual health. If you are a believer, the God who saves you wants you to know that you are saved. If you are a believer, God wants you not only to be saved, but he wants you to be able to enjoy with great assurance, this salvation he has given to you. Let's see it in our text. 2 Peter 1, let's pick up together in verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ. Peter is saying to us, be very sure that you truly are one of God's redeemed people. Be very certain that you're among those whom God has called to himself, that you're among those God has chosen for himself. So let's address this topic together today. And here's the goal for this message, because it's the goal of this text, that when we leave here in about 25 minutes, 30 minutes, when we leave here, every single one of us would be sure that you know Jesus and that you're right with God. That's the goal. The goal is not to stir you up, that you would leave here anxious and more disturbed than when you came in. The goal is that all of us, no matter what your background, no matter, no matter what was true of you when you came in, that all of us would leave here, I know I know Jesus. I know I'm secure in Jesus, that's where we're going. So let's talk first of all about the importance of examining your salvation. That's what our text brings us to. Verse 10, therefore brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Peter essentially saying this matter of your salvation, settle this as a matter of first importance. Consider with me, could anything be more important than knowing that you're right with God to know where you're going to be for eternity. Some of you this morning might be more sure of where you're going to go to college one day than where you're going to spend eternity forever. Some of you might be more sure about where you're going on your next vacation than whether or not you're going to be in heaven forever or in hell forever. Peter says, this is of significance. Unlike anything else, this is of first important. So our text tells us here, be diligent with this consideration. This morning, eagerly search your heart and life. This morning, engage your heart and mind with this question. In fact, it's not just Peter telling us to do this. Paul told the Corinthians the same thing. In 2 Corinthians 13, five, we were told this. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Notice with me that Peter is actually talking to church people. He even refers to them here as brothers. So you and I know that it's very possible, happens all the time, that there are are people attending churches that have never truly met Jesus. So to be in the room, even to be in the room regularly doesn't mean that you have met Jesus. Jesus. People can get confused here because they have a Christian family. They might think, well, then that makes me a Christian. If you're here today and you have Christian parents, that is wonderful, but that doesn't make you a Christian. You could have a Christian spouse. That's wonderful, but that doesn't make you one. So you can be a member of the church even, having been baptized and gone through some process and still not be in the family of God. Jesus spoke this way. Remember, Jesus talked about wheat and tares, Wheat and weeds. And very difficult to tell the difference sometimes. What's real wheat and what is a weed there? But at the harvest, the two will become distinguishable. We'll know what was valuable and real, what was not. Jesus spoke about that. Jesus also gave us those startling words when Jesus said there will be people at the judgment who thought they were believers and they'll say things at the judgment like, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things for you? And then Jesus shockingly is going to tell people who thought they were believers, he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And so it's possible to be in the Christian community without being a Christian. I know this because the scripture teaches it, but it was my story as well. Some of you know my story, some of you are just getting acquainted with the church and And so my story was this. Uh, I was born into a Presbyterian family. I was sprinkled as a little Presbyterian baby. And I always think that wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't a biblical thing. You can't find it in the scripture. But my parents, I think, meant it like a baby dedication, similar to what we do. But certainly in those years after that, I was not born again because of that sprinkling of water. But then at the age of 13, at that time, my family was attending a Baptist church. And in those days, I thought, well, how do you avoid hell? So I did become concerned about hell and I totally misunderstood it that I think, okay, if you walk down front, you shake the guy's hand, you get dunked under some water, they call that accepting Christ and that's what I did. And unfortunately, I did not accept Christ at any point in that process. I didn't repent of my sins. I didn't recognize the gospel. I just went through the motions and, and I had an assurance of salvation that I should not have had. If you'd asked me in those years between 13 and when I was saved, about 17, Are you going to heaven? Like, no doubt. (laughs) I had assurance, but I should not have had assurance. I was Baptist, but I was not Christian. I was a member of Arlington Street Baptist Church in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, but I was not a member of the family of God. It can happen. And so if that's your story today, your story can change. Just like God graciously changed my story. You can go from being a church member to being saved if you'll turn from your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone to be your savior. I thank God that he not only saves Hindus who come to Jesus, God not only saves Muslims who come to Jesus, he saves Baptists who come to Jesus. When you recognize, oh no, I was trusting in something I did. I never understood my sin and that Jesus is the remedy. I'm now trusting in Jesus. So my prayer today is that if you're uncertain about your salvation, you will become certain either by believing in Jesus Christ for the first time truly or becoming aware of the assurance you can have as the Scripture is about to teach us about. So let's respond to this text. So we've just started out talking about the importance of examining your salvation to be sure you truly know Jesus. But then let's consider this question. If we're having to be sure, what then causes the uncertainty about this question? Where do doubts about salvation come from? If God wants you to be certain, like this text tells you, then where are all these questions and worries about it coming from? Well, there are several possibilities. So one of the possibilities is this could be Satan's attack in your life. If you do know Jesus, but you find yourself hounded by continual doubts about it, this could be Satan harassing you as a genuine believer. He seeks to rob you of your joy and peace. And wouldn't this be a shrewd strategy of the evil one? When you're constantly worried about, am I saved? Am I saved? You have to be focused inward because of that concern and you're preoccupied there and you really don't have a testimony for others because we're supposed to be sharing the hope we have in Christ. If you don't know you have that hope, it really paralyzes you in terms of your outreach to other people. I love what Donald Whitney said about this, where believers struggling with, doubts of their salvation. Donald Whitney said this unbelievers do not wring their hands, wondering if they're going to heaven. Satan has made his business to try to convince Christians. They're not going to heaven and non-Christians that they are non-Christians are pretty assured that they are going to heaven and believers often struggle with whether they are. Hasn't that been true where you find a Christian could be here today. Like, Oh no, I worry about this constantly. And, uh, Whitney says you don't find unbelievers doing that. They're not interested in spiritual things. In fact, unbelievers, they've been convinced by the evil one. Oh, you're good. Of course, if anybody goes to heaven, you're gonna go. You don't worry about Jesus. You go ahead. It's believers often that are racked with concern about this. So we'll talk more about that. But we'll talk, first of all, where do some of these doubts come from? It could be Satan's attack on a genuine believer. Here's another source of worry about salvation it could be your own sin. So you could be a child of God. You've been born again through faith in Jesus, but you've allowed yourself to get into and stay in patterns of sin in your life. And you are understandably troubled by that. And you begin to ask a legitimate question. How could I be saved and live like I'm living? How could I be born again and and do this? You're, You're really bothered by these sins. Your conscience has been made tender by the Holy Spirit and you're troubled by that. So in other words, in your choosing to sin, and staying in it, you're robbing yourself of joy and peace that God wants you to have. Yes, you've been ultimately forgiven from it if you're in Christ, but this sin is doing damage to you. It's robbing you of something precious the Lord wants you to have. The remedy for that is not getting saved all over again. It's repenting of that obvious sin and running to the Lord for restoration. I love how David cried out in Psalm 51. He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. So you might be here today thinking, I, I'm troubled because I'm living a way that's inconsistent with my faith in Jesus. And the most miserable person is that person trying to live that double life. You need to repent and return to your savior. But there's a third option of why a person might struggle with doubts about their salvation. And this could be that God is graciously calling you to himself. It's possible that a person here could be a cultural Christian only. You think, well, I'm not a Hindu. I'm not a Muslim. Therefore, I must be a Christian or I'm not an atheist. And so I'm, I'm a Christian. Well, that's just a label maybe for you. You're a cultural Christian. As we talked about earlier, an unsaved church member like I once was. And if that's you, mercifully, the Holy Spirit can trouble you about that. To open your eyes because he loves you. He wants you in his family. You've been blind all this time, but today's the day he's opening your eyes. You're lost. You just joined the church. You don't know me. And so he'll trouble you to bring you in. Listen, when God is involved in causing you to doubt salvation, it's He. He is very efficient with it. This isn't something you will lead you into that for the next twenty years you're going to wonder about. When God's in it, this is very efficient. You'll you'll go from I think I'm fine by myself to Oh no, I'm not fine. I need Jesus. To then saying Jesus will save me. If you save sinners and I am one, would you save me? So you can go from being complacent to alarmed to at peace by trusting in Jesus, all very efficiently, that can happen. That's what I'm saying. Every one of us could leave here assured of our salvation because even if today in this moment, you're not born again, you don't know Jesus, he can trouble you to where he says, hey, trust in me and you can call on Jesus for salvation. He's very productive like that. So let's talk now about the basis of assurance. How can I know that I know Jesus? What should I look for? Well, first of all, I want you to think about looking in two directions. First of all, look back, look back. So did you ever repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus? And whatever kind of religious experiences you had in the past, in that, were you aware of your sin? Were you alarmed by your sin? If if you were never alarmed by your sin or aware of your sin, that wasn't a part of what you did spiritually, then something else happened to you other than coming to know Jesus. Because There is a conviction of sin when we're coming to Christ. So was that a part of it? Did you, when you did whatever you did, did you recognize that Jesus died on the cross for those sins that are now troubling you? Did somebody direct you or did you see in the scriptures that it's Jesus's death on the cross that atones for sins? Did you get that? Did you understand that Jesus was raised from the dead? He not only died for you, but he was raised from the dead. And did you repent and believe in Jesus? So what we're saying is, did you believe the gospel? We're looking back. Have, have I experienced God through the, the gospel? And somebody might think, well, no, that's not exactly what I remember. Maybe you just remember I filled out a card and ended up kind of getting whisked into church membership. I'm not sure that I repented my sins and trusted in Jesus in that. Maybe you were at camp and you raised your hand and everybody was happy for you and swept you along and you got baptized when you got back and I don't even know what happened. But here's the good news. You can be sure today. This is Joy's story. Joy was, uh, became a believer at age eight up in Manassas, Virginia, with a godly mom and a good church, heard the gospel her whole life. And at age eight, put her faith in Jesus and convinced that that was a genuine decision then. But when she was in high school, she talked about a little trouble by that, like trying to think, about what did I know at eight? I mean, eight's pretty young. I'm pretty sure I knew what I was doing, trusting in Jesus. But, but here's, here's how she remedied that as a high school girl. She said, Jesus, I'm pretty sure I understood this when I was eight, trusting only in you. I just wanna to affirm today that I'm trusting you alone as my savior, what you did for me. It's not like something she had to do over and over again in her life, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I was saved. Let's, let's just nail this down. I, I am trusting you, which leads us to this. So how do I know I'm truly among the saved. I look back. Did I embrace the gospel? Did I trust Jesus? That's looking back. But, but Peter tells you, look right now. Look at the present. This is the context of this passage. Notice what he says here. How about now? Do you desire to follow Jesus now? Regardless of what you point back to, it would be alarming if you find no present tense interest in Jesus. No affection For Jesus, notice verse 10 again. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Now look at what he says next. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So do you see these qualities in you? You say, what qualities? We looked at them last time. Look at verses five through seven and you'll see the qualities. Seven things, he says, these ought to be growing in your life. You're adding to your saving faith that God gave you You're adding these things. Remember we saw these, virtue, which is the idea of moral excellence or knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. These ought to be showing up in your life, not perfectly, but you see, I, I see a change is on. I can look back that I did come to know Jesus in the past and now I see present tense, he's still at work in my life. Consider with me, if you don't have those seven qualities in your life, If you don't have these seven qualities, then you have the opposite in your life and that would never do. So what's the opposite of virtue? That's iniquity. What's the opposite of having knowledge of God? Ignorance of God. What's the opposite of self-control that we're called to? It would be self-indulgence. What's the opposite of steadfastness that we're to have? Well, that would be instability, even infidelity or godliness. What's the opposite of godliness? If I don't have that, what do I have? I have sin in my life, obscenity, faithlessness. And if I don't have brotherly affection that we're supposed to be finding in our lives, if I don't have a love in my life, then what do I have? I have indifference and apathy toward other people, even hatred toward other people. So that, that cannot be true of us. And of course, all of us can have and do have momentary failures into sin. But if we look at our lives and go, you know, no, what I have is a lifestyle of sin that I'm quite content with. I like my sin, I don't intend to turn from my sin. It's not sin. Then we find that's, that is foreign to what it means to be in Christ. We're to see these seven qualities, present tense in our lives. So let's, let's pause here for important clarification. Peter's not saying, the Bible's not saying, and I'm certainly not saying that the way to heaven, the way to be sure is your works. Do these seven things and you'll go to heaven. That's not what the Bible's teaching. We're just saying, if you have genuine saving faith in Jesus, You have a desire for these things now in your life. Neither are we saying that you're going to live these things perfectly if you're saved. That's just not the way it is. I watched a a great encounter between John MacArthur and a troubled young woman. And in this encounter, this woman had this question, how can I know that I'm saved? I'm so worried. I have bad thoughts come through my mind. and, And how can I know I'm really saved? And he was so tender with her, walking her through this and among the things he shared with her, as you know, kind of what we talked about earlier, unbelievers aren't really that concerned about salvation. And here she was at a conference and here she was standing up in front of thousands of people asking the question about our salvation, pretty good indication that God's at work in your life. But he also talked about this, what, what you're looking for present tense in your life a, a, as one who has believed the gospel is now you're looking at direction and affection. I thought it was helpful. So, so is the direction now of your life in Christ toward virtue, toward this growing knowledge, toward a growing love for God, is that the direction? And that affection, do I now have a new, though imperfect affection for God? R.C. Sproul dealing with the same question about how can a believer know that they know the Lord? He went right there to the idea of love. Do you have any love in you for the biblical Jesus? If you have any love in you, Sproul said, For the biblical Jesus, not not a made up Jesus that the world likes, but the biblical Jesus, if you love him, though imperfectly, not as much as you ought to, but I I find affection in me for the biblical Jesus. He said, only God could have done that for you. Because the unsaved person is hostile toward the biblical Jesus. You're just looking at, do I have a direction now, a desire now for God as imperfect as we still are? but something seriously defective, if you've made some kind of profession of faith in the past and you have no present tense interest or desire for Jesus, something's wrong there. That will be a false profession to say that you know Jesus, but you don't love him. Oh, I know Jesus, but I don't wanna follow him. That's not showing up in my life. Jesus never described that as a type of life that is genuine Christianity. Remember, Jesus called it being born again when you know him. Paul called it being a new creation. So those who've been cleansed from their sins, they don't want to remain in their sins. We still struggle and fall in it, but the the Holy Spirit will not leave us there. We find this desire, even in all our failures. Oh, but Lord, I do desire you. Oh Lord, I want to be more faithful than I am. There's evidence that you have met Jesus. And so now I want us to come to this, the role of remembering here. And this is where we'll close here. Verses 12 through 15. Look at this with me. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me and I'll make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Did you notice Peter talks about remembering, remembering, recalling. In fact, he told us back in verse nine, that if you're one who doesn't have these qualities showing up in your life by the grace of God, that you are are forgetful of the forgiveness of your sins. So he's talking a lot about don't forget and remember here. So we cannot forget what Jesus has done for us. Hence the Lord's Supper we just took. We can never forget the grace of God. We can never forget the gospel. One scholar said it this way, believers know the gospel, yet they must in a sense relearn it every day. We need to remember this. If you're like me, I'm, I'm keenly aware that the world is bombarding me with lots of distractions to far less important things than this. In fact, I made a pretty significant switch in my life. I will occasionally watch news now, but typically now when I wanna get news, I'll go to a news app where I can better control which stories I watch. You ever been watching the news and you're waiting for the real news, but they're gonna take you to the Idaho State Fair and they're gonna to talk to you about the nutritional value of a funnel cake there. You're like, I don't need to know that. Just wasting my time. Or they're gonna tell you about some argument in a piggly wiggly supermarket in Jackson, Mississippi. Like, oh, why do I need to know that? I don't know either of those people. I don't live in Jackson, Mississippi. It's wasting, wasting my time. But there are other things I can put into my head. It's not like I use all my time perfectly. There's sports and all kinds of other things I can spend my time on that I would say are not of ultimate value but, but there's this need in our minds to not forget what is truly important to have our minds on the gospel. So let me just ask you, have you forgotten some things? Have you forgotten that God made you in all the things you've been thinking? Have you forgotten you have a maker? Have you forgotten that this life is very, very short and that eternity, eternity is well, eternal. It's forever. Have you forgotten what Christ did for you on the cross? I mean, other than when we did the Lord's Supper, is this this some wonderful truth that you can put off your mind for weeks at a time? You cannot forget that. Have you forgotten the very precious promises of God that Peter taught about? So instead of forgetting, you and I need to keep the gospel ever before our minds, that we would be full of gratitude, full of joy thinking about what Jesus has done for us, full of compassion for people who have not yet met Jesus. So how do you remember Oh, there's no better way to to remember than doing what you're doing now. You've come to worship that we might remember together, but not just on Sunday, but every day where you pull aside and you meet with God, that you might remember what really matters. It's where you get alone with the Bible. Somebody right now is thinking, really, is he going to talk about reading the Bible again? Yes. (laughs) It's the best place to remember everything that you need to remember. I need to remember. And so every day this morning, I was in Matthew chapter one, just remembering Jesus born of a virgin conceived of the Holy spirit. He's the, he was from the line of Abraham and David and just being reminded of our great savior. He is Emmanuel God with us. I need those reminders. You and I need that. So we get alone with God in the word of God. And we take notes. We use a highlighter Anything to lock it in. I, this is the most important thing that I might know is to know the Lord. In fact, I've told you this, I think, but in my prayer time, I have some scriptures that I don't ever wanna forget. I might read Matthew one or tomorrow Matthew two, but but there's some other scriptures that in a previous quiet time, I thought, I can't forget that one. I gotta see that one almost every day of my life. And I've got things from James four there and Galatians two there and Galatians one there. Things I just need to see that most days of the week that I not forget that. So assurance and fruitfulness come from remembering the gospel and now this, are you sure that you know Jesus? Are you sure you're one of his? Be diligent to confirm your election, your calling. In recent days, Rocket Mortgage has had a commercial that I enjoy this whole series. If you've seen it, it's the whole idea of being pretty sure is not good enough. You seen that? There's a scene in the airplane where it says, I'm pretty sure this is a parachute as they jump out of the plane. Being pretty sure it's not enough. Another one of the commercials when they're out in the woods and somebody says, I'm pretty sure these are not poisonous mushrooms. Pretty sure it's not good enough. They make the good point. Certain is better. Goodness, if that's true of mortgage approvals, how much more of your very soul? Pretty sure. I hope you won't leave here today saying, well, I hope, I hope I'm okay. I'm pretty sure. I I know Jesus. I'm pretty sure I'll go to heaven Forever, pretty sure that's not good enough. God loves you too much to leave it like that. And so I'm so glad in his, in his kindness, he brought you here that you could be sure either by saying, Jesus, I turn from sin and I trust in you as my savior. And you've promised eternal life to anybody who believes in you. That's what I've done. I've trusted you. Oh, I hope you'll have that assurance. Or Christian, you've let yourself be rocked by the evil one. I hope today you'll come back to that. No, I know I have Jesus. I can rest in this eternal life he's given me. Let's close with this. 1 John 5, 12 and 13. Listen to the word of God. Listen to the reassurance. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Do you hear that? If you have Jesus, you have life. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's pray together.